Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. That brings us uh, to the next section. That we've looked at what is the shared job description of a husband uh, and wife. What are those aspects that God expects almost the same of both husband and wife that are essential to having a gospel-centered marriage? Uh, But at the same time, we said this was going to be a complementarian position where there are things that God designed men and women differently that were meant to complement one another. Uh, And so we begin to look at that. And I would start here just by saying there are few things more pathetic than the modern media portrayal of the husband-father. They portray him as weak, as incompetent, as lazy, as disinterested, selfish, juvenile, distant, uninvolved, pleasure-seeking, greedy, cold, and anything that is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. And I would say far too often, we are laughing when we should be crying as biblical manhood is being abdicated through the influence of entertainment and what we begin to say, yes, that is worthy of our attention when it should upset us at a level that we say, no, that is not what God designed. I will not be entertained by that. And, and so we start here with Tim Keller. He says, while the principle is clear, the husband is to be the servant leader and have ultimate responsibility and authority in the family. The Bible gives almost no details about how that is to be expressed in concrete behavior. What does this mean for us? It means that rigid culture gender roles have no biblical warrant. Christians cannot make a scriptural case for masculine or feminine stereotypes. We must find ways to honor and express our gender roles, but the Bible allows for freedom in the particulars while still upholding the obligatory nature of the principle. Again, this is one where I read a lot of books on manhood and womanhood, uh, and particularly in manhood, there's very popular books that are just kind of 1500 chivalry uh, that that what it means to be a man is you want to go find a beauty to rescue. And I have a large number of men who come into my office uh, who have read those very popular books and they struggle with same-sex attraction and they say, you know what, I read that book and I just, you know, I thought, I must be gay. Because those books take a particular stereotype and they hold it up and they say, this is biblical manhood. It's one expression of it. I'm not against it as saying, yes, this is, this is what one way that manhood expresses itself. But that's not the essence of it. The essence of biblical manhood is being a servant leader, being a protector, being a provider, being a shepherd of one's home. 
Those are the things, and they can express themselves in many ways. And as Keller said, one of the defining aspects is being a servant leader. I think a defining passage on that is Matthew 20, 25 to 28, where Jesus himself said, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And I would say any view of headship that does not grow from that soil is a weed. It is a distortion of God's design, and it is undeserving of the label Christian. And I think one of the things that says men should make us very afraid is that if we are proposing a model of manhood that is not servant leadership, then Matthew 18 says that if we teach things about God that are unworthy of Him to children, that we are worthy of having a millstone tied around our neck and thrown into the ocean. Jesus was serious about what we modeled to children. And how that happens within the family is one of the places where children see that most clearly. And as much as a problem as there is, is the abdication of manhood within family and fathers being absent, this dominant role that does not have the tone of a servant leader is equally problematic. And so, you know, as we think about servant leader, I would encourage you to think of that on a spectrum. And on one end of that spectrum, we have servant only. And on the other end of that spectrum, we have leader only. And in this case, there will be a moral middle. That God calls a husband to be a servant leader. And so if you have a servant only husband, you know, what that looks like, is that he merely funds and assists and facilitates the desires of his household. Uh, The agenda of the family is created exclusively by the wants of each family member. There's very little moral or biblical instruction. He usually doesn't enforce any consequences. When he doesn't get his way, he relies on pouting and guilt as his primary tool of getting his family to do what he wants. And on this end of the spectrum... The husband is usually more loved than respected. But that love usually degenerates into a form of appreciation that's little more than a sense of entitlement. Now, if you're not quite that far on the servant-only end, you know, there's a milder form of servant-only husbanding that, you know, the husband does kind of enforce some moral and um, biblical teaching. um, But... There's no, he doesn't create a sense of family. He doesn't create a sense in which our individual desires and wants and dreams come together as a particular unit. And the family becomes so divergently busy that they cease to function as a family and there's no common sense of identity. Now, if that's the servant-only side, then you have the leader-only side. And on this end, he's kind of a micromanager. He makes most, if not all, the decision for his household. And he measures each member of his family by how well they obey and respect him. Uh, On this end, the husband is usually respected more than loved. uh, But that respect devolves into a form of fear which can frequently become dread. Now there's a milder form of the leader-only husband who's kind of the Mr. Fix-It, answer-man approach. Uh, He shares truth, he gives direction, but he withholds himself. It's the very opposite of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where he said, we were eager not only to share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. 
He asked the question, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? How can I fix that? Instead of first asking, how can I join you in that struggle? How can I join you in this situation? How can I join you in your journey? Now, some husbands, they're not servant only or leader only. They're just absent. They're not on the scale. And some of them are selfishly absent because they're just doing what they like best. Others are fearfully absent because they're afraid if they get involved that they're going to mess up. And if you say, that's me, what do I do? Uh, I would say that's where those first three areas of the job description come in. Start with just that aspect of character. Where do I tend to be one way or the other? How can I begin to show this balanced fruit of the Spirit? Let me begin to go to the one another's and really find out what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, what does my spouse desire? Let me begin to engage and begin to move forward from there because it will build the kind of relationship that will give you the confidence to get involved in this servant leader way. But when we say, what does a servant leader do? If I could give one thing that I think is probably one of the more commonly neglected, as a servant leader, the husband initiates important conversations in his family. If there's a conversation that needs to be had, he doesn't passively wait until his wife needs to bring that to him. He says, you know, I've noticed this has been going difficult. Can we talk about that? He regularly involves his wife in envisioning the future of their family and anticipating what the next season of life will be. He discusses the family schedule and the family priorities to make sure that it equally represents the members of the family. Um, and he is the first to sacrifice when life requires that. And he does so lovingly and with a joyful attitude. Now, Brian Chapel takes us a little further. He says, the Bible does not, permit, does not permit men to be uninvolved, disinterested, intentionally deaf, or self, selfishly blind. Headship requires the husband actively and graciously to work for the physical and spiritual well-being of each person of the family. A husband's passivity can lead to cycles of abuse. A common pattern, I would echo this very much, a common pattern in abusive marriages is long periods of male passivity interspersed with brief episodes of rage. Too often, Christians summarize male headship in the home by simply saying the husband has the last word. Again, I think when we say that, we make it exclusively a corporate relationship and we miss that group friendship dynamic and we miss that individual dynamic. Um, or the final authority in decision making. Be glad this abbreviation, where it's just shrunk into one of those kinds of relationship, of responsibility is not found in the phrases of Scripture because it can cause great damage. Biblical headship shifts the focus from the husband taking charge to taking responsibility. Being a godly husband is not so much asserting one's will as submitting one's prerogative to the good of another. And so here the second aspect of being the husband's job description in that unique aspect is to be a shepherd of his family. Uh, as shepherd of his family, I think the theme verse of every husband should be 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
The first rule of shepherding your family is to walk in the direction you want the sheep to go. Leaders lead. And if we're going to say the most important part of having a gospel-centered marriage is that pursuit of Christ and believing Luke 9.23 that when I lose myself for His sake that I truly find the life that I wanted, shepherding your family means setting that example. Again, this is the spiritual version of what we're about to look at when it comes to being the protector and provider of our family. As I am the shepherd of my family, I am spiritually protecting and providing my family. And so what does that look like? It means that I invite my wife and children to really know who I am. And that I, I show them my struggles and I serve as a living example of what it means to grow as a disciple. I let them see areas 1, 2, and 3, where I'm weak and where I'm strong and what I'm doing about it. Because that is the example that will set forth shepherding my family. I establish with my life, with my wife, the biblical values that will guide the family and find ways to reinforce them. I initiate meaningful family traditions uh, that teach and reinforce our family values and identity. It may be something as simple as what we do. Uh, every Saturday morning we have cinnamon rolls, and it's just one of those things that when Saturday comes, our kids know cinnamon rolls. It may be a trip that I take with my children each time we, have a, we take rite of passage trips or man trips where it's significant seasons of our, in their life and development. We go and I sit down and talk with my wife and I say, what are the values that we want to instill at them in this season of life that would prepare them for what's coming up? And we have that conversation and she knows that I will take that shepherding of the family very seriously. And it means that I encourage my wife and family to grow as individuals. And I get to know the unique place that God has called and crafted them to serve Him. And I encourage that and spur that on. And so I'm to be a shepherd of my family. I'm to be a man of understanding. First uh, Peter 3.7 says that I'm to live with my wife in an understanding way. And God goes so far as to say, if I won't do that, He will not hear my prayers. He looks me in the eye and he says, if you will not listen to and learn your wife, I will not listen to you. It is God saying, you are representing me to, my wife, to your wife. And that is very serious. I would say there is no Christian leader who does not invest himself heavily in those who are being led. That my calling is to be the PhD level expert on my wife. So that if God wanted to use anyone to bless or encourage my wife, there would be nobody else on the planet more qualified, more knowledgeable, more willing, more interested, more eager to play that role than me. And honestly, I need to do this to fulfill any of the other roles. If I am going to be the servant leader of my wife, I need to know what is most meaningful to her. If I am going to be the shepherd of my wife, I need to know her gifting and her struggles. If I am going to be the provider for my family, it is important for me to know what is most important to her when we get to making those crunch time decisions. If I am going to be the protector of my wife, then I need to know what her fears and insecurities are so that I can focus my efforts on where that is. I must be a man of understanding. So what does this look like? 
It means I ask questions to understand my wife's emotions and her responses to events. I listen attentively when my wife speaks. And I am quick to apologize when I don't. If there's any point where I just find my thoughts drifting and my wife is talking, I want to be the very first one to say, Honey, I did not do a good job of listening at that moment. Can you tell me that again? Because again, I do that and I say that nearly every day, but I do not want there to be an occasion where I am not listening well and she has to bring that to my attention without me saying it first or at least with the confidence that I take that role very seriously. That I observe what other people draw out in my wife. You know, C.S. Lewis within the Inklings, uh, which was this group of writers who got together and talked, uh, in the latter years one of them died and passed away. And at one level, kind of selfishly, he thought, good, I'll get more of this friend that I had. And it turns out, no. He said, what I found is there's a side of this friend that was just drawn out by this other person. And I missed that side of this friend when I lost this person. You know, there are sides of my wife that I only see when she is with other people. My wife is an incredible defender of the underdog. If somebody is being taken advantage of, I see a side of, of protection and strength come out in her that, that gives me a lot of peace and confidence when she is caring for our children. And it's something that I want to see and be able to affirm. It means I pay attention to my wife's schedule and the demands on her life. Uh, and I anticipate the challenges uh, that she will be facing. It, um, uh, Sarah Lipton, she says, For most of Western history, the primary and most valued characteristic of manhood was self-mastery. A man who indulged in excessive eating, drinking, sleeping, or sex, who failed to rule himself, was considered unfit to rule his household. Uh, and again, this is where I would say oftentimes that, that role of man as provider for his family and caring for his family oftentimes gets usurped by I'm going to be the man in this house. I'm going to wear the pants. I'm going to make the decisions I'm going to want to. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and can't do with the money. If I want to spend this money, I'm going to spend it. I'm not going to kowtow to you. I didn't ask for a mother. I asked for a wife. And we get into that kind of garbage. And again, the aspect of being a husband is a sense of self-mastery. That we become a man when we can care for others, not what we can do whenever we well please. And we cannot forget that. Because the primary tool of Christian leadership is self-sacrifice. The role of leadership is to bless those being led, not to meet every desire of the leader. Now again, we ask questions like, does this mean the wife shouldn't work if the husband is the provider? I would say no. Uh, the husband providing for his family really has no implication on whether the wife works. Uh, I would suggest in the way that you, that you uh, arrange your family that the wife should be free not to work, uh, but that if you decide for one reason or another that she does work, that's great, uh, but there should be a freedom there uh, that she wouldn't. That's a wisdom principle that I'm laying forth. It's not something I can say, okay, Scripture says this, throw that out. Uh, does this mean a husband should make more than his wife? No, it's not a competition. 
any more than when we get to some of the aspects of the wife's role and that kind of thing unique within the home and her overseeing the home. That doesn't mean that her husband doesn't do anything in the house. Um, you know, in seasons when uh, the husband is going to school or unemployed, does that mean that should never happen? Well, unemployment sometimes unavoidable. Sometimes getting additional education is advisable. Um, during these times, the wife for a season may be the primary breadwinner. Uh, but during this time, the husband should still take his role as provider very seriously, uh, working diligently to find work or to uh, complete school, uh, working a part-time job, even if it's not ideal, uh, to contribute to the family budget, living frugally uh, during this temporary arrangement, and still leading in the family's financial management. Again, whether he's the one administrating the budget or not, uh, that he is still uh, leading and looking at that and overseeing that and that there's a discussion between the husband and wife about what we're going to do with the money. Now, again, what does this look like? Initiation, initiating the creation of a family budget and ensuring that it's monitored regardless of which spouse administrates it. Consulting with his wife on financial decisions. Providing for the family's basic living expenses. Uh, ensuring that the family avoids unwise debt. Uh, and that the family as a whole is aware of their financial situation. Um, John Piper. Uh, he says, the reason I'm using the title lion-hearted and lamb-like to refer to the Christian husband as head of the wife is because the husband is called to lead like Jesus, who is both the lion of Judah and the lamb of God. He was lion-hearted and lamb-like, strong and meek, Tough and tender, aggressive and responsive, bold and broken-hearted. He sets the pattern for manhood. Leadership does not assume it is superior. It assumes it should take initiative. And here the husband is the protector of the family. Um, Colossians 3.19, a passage on uh, marriage in specific, says a husband is to love his wife and not be harsh. And I think what husbands we should take on this it's probably the person that we protect our wife from most is ourself. Uh, that sense of our own harshness, um, our own expectations and demands. Uh, in being protector of the family, I was reading something that uh, it was written by a pastor, two pastors, but I think it fits broadly. Uh, he was making an appeal to men. He said, fight for your family because nobody else will. And again, he wasn't making a cynical, jaded comment. He was simply saying, everybody else wants your time for what they want. And if you don't fight for your family in that time that needs to be there, nobody else will. And so, again, we, we do this by protecting from physical dangers. Probably the rarest opportunity we have is to beat up the burglar that comes into our house. Um, but we protect from relational dangers. Parents, children, employers, or friends should not be allowed to denigrate or manipulate a man's wife without him engaging in a respectful but firm confrontation. Now at that moment, the wife should have every confidence that he will speak in a self-controlled manner. And the husband's response to protecting his wife should not itself become a point of fear. But she should know that she would be protected. There should be a sense of redemptive safety and protection. That how a husband responds to his wife's sins or non-moral failure is a big part of his protective role. 
You should, as a man, set the agenda of what it looks like that grace will pervade your family. Because again, husband and wife are two sinners living in the same household. And as men, we are called to be that representative of Christ towards the church in the way that we respond. And that means that condemnation and shame are not acceptable tools for a husband to use. And there should just be a general atmosphere of safety. That a husband should protect his family when he leads in establishing a positive and uplifting tone for his household. That the household should be a place of encouragement and the husband should be the tone setter. Now I can tell you what that, one of the biggest challenges in me for that, it was not being a morning person. It, honestly, for the first several years of marriage, I just didn't want anybody to talk to me. Ever. At all. About anything. Questions were like the kiss of death. Um, our house was to be silent until 15 minutes after the coffee kicked in. And I think I was failing as the protector of my family in setting a very soft tone, a safe tone. And I began to, it came to a point of conviction. And so I said, you know what? Before I go to bed, I'm going to think of a compliment that I'm going to give my wife first thing in the morning when I wake up. Because I want to set a tone and an atmosphere of encouragement and safety And just this aspect of speaking affirmation into my wife's life. Any moment of silence is one that I think in setting this atmosphere of safety and protection that I should seize upon. Because any moment that I am encouraging her, I am protecting her from the lies of Satan that would lead to doubt and insecurity and many other things. And I can be confident when she is hearing me speak words of truth and affirmation to her, she is not hearing words of the adversary who would seek to devour her. And that is part of my role as protector over the family. And so we hear this kind of job description for the husband. And I think it would be very easy, uh, particularly because it's phrased as a job description, for it to come across as a to-do list. You know, just all of these lists of things that I get overwhelmed by. But it's not a set of boxes to do as much as it is a person to be. And we should not forget that we are a good husband in the same way that we are a good Christian. Moment by moment, dependence upon the grace of God for the strength we don't have, for the wisdom we don't have, for the self-control that we don't have, that yet before the... <clears throat> Yet before the, but for the grace of God go I, and I need Him. And husbands, we lead our families not only by what we do, but by whose strength we do it in. And so I would close this time right here by saying our call as men is to man up by the grace of God. And so let's pause here. Uh, if we will, let's take just about a five-minute break so that we can end our de- uh, honor our departure time for the, um, for the services that are coming after that. Uh, and we'll come back and take a look at the job description for the aspect of the wife.